Um, chapter 22, verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You should you shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment. With any lost thing of your brothers, which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. So here's a responsibility that they would have to their neighbor's animals. If you see your neighbor's ox or sheep straying away, you should not uh, just not get involved. You know, that'd be kind of a natural tendency. Well, it's not my animal. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I got other things to do. But he gives them the responsibility of, of taking care of that lost animal, either bringing it back to the owner or keeping it until the owner comes looking for it, if it's from a long ways away. Um, but it's important that it not be a finder's keeper, loser, loser's weepers idea. You know, it's not that, well, I found this lost animal, it's mine. No, you found it for your neighbor. They had to show a genuine interest in the welfare and the well-being of their neighbor. Uh, they weren't allowed to just uh, take those animals or to neglect them. Uh, he says you wouldn't see your uh, neighbor's donkey or ox falling down and, and you'd, you'll help raise them up. We have a responsibility, he says, to take care of the property of our neighbor, to help our neighbor out uh, in a situation like that. So he's giving a lot of responsibility to, to be a good neighbor, really the golden rule almost in force here, to do unto others as you would that they do to you. Comments or thoughts, Seth? When, when someone asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, he told a story that sounds really similar to this. But instead of a, an oxen or a donkey, it was a man, a, a fellow human who had fallen. And it was a Samaritan who took care of it. Great point. Yes, that's exactly right. And you think about it, if you've got a responsibility to the animal, remember the principle G, that Paul brought out of... Uh, uh, chapter 25, verse 4, with not muzzling the ox while he's threshing. You can't muzzle the animal, much less the person who's working for you. So if you would need to help your neighbor's animal who was astray, or was lost, or was fallen down, how much more we would need to help the person who was astray, or lost, or fallen. And if we applied that spiritually, certainly we can see the responsibility we've got to reach out to those who are lost and teach them and help them and guide them back. Other thoughts? Austin? We see how far there in Luke, the 10th chapter with the Good Samaritan, how far the Israelites have strayed from that and the Jewish people in that example given, just like the one that's been mentioned. But again, God's people not doing God's will and how far away they get from who God truly intended them to be. Certainly. Mark. This example of how we should treat others' property is a training ground of when we become 
sheep. When we become God's sheep, we should help other sheep like ourselves at every opportunity given so that we can help each other. Like your training ground at the Old Testament, you should try to apply it. Sure, like Galatians 6, 1 and 2, the spiritual should help restore the one who's fallen. Yes. Good point. Other thoughts? This was the law they were given in the verse you referred to in Galatians 6 is called with the law of Christ that we bear one another's burdens. So that's the whole premise of our New Testament law. Certainly. Amen. Okay, uh, there's some various laws here in this next section, 5 to uh, 12. A woman should not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the, on the young ones or on the eggs, you should not take the mother with the young. You should let the mother go, but the young um, you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. When you build a new house, you shall make a uh, parapet for your roof, that you may not build the, uh, the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone shall fall from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crops that you have sown and the, and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear, uh, you shall not wear cloth and wool and linen mixed together. You shall, uh, you shall make for yourselves tassels on the four corners of the garment which you cover yourself. Okay. A number of laws and rules here. In verse 5, a woman not to wear a man's clothing, a man not to put on a woman's clothing. I don't think the point here is a fashion statement, but gender confusion is to be avoided. In 6 and 7, they weren't supposed to kill a mother with the eggs. I think the idea is to protect their source of food. You don't just wipe out the whole uh, race, uh, either preserve the mother or the eggs. Uh, or, the, or the young. Um, in 8, he talks about the responsibility when you build a house uh, to protect people from danger, build some kind of a fence around the roof. People walk on the roofs. And you're responsible to do what you can to keep people from falling off. Uh, you're responsible for the death that might occur that was a result of your negligence in not properly protecting the roof. Uh, we have a responsibility to uh, not be negligent in doing what we can to keep others from being harmed by anything that we have or anything that we do. Then in verses 9, 10, and 11, you've got these laws against unlawful mixing. Not sowing your vineyard with two kinds of seed, uh, not plowing with two kinds of animals, not wearing material of two kinds of fabrics, You've got a lot of instances in the law where separation was required, where there were laws against violation of the boundaries. The idea of we've got to keep separate what God has made separate. Now, we understand that these were physical laws, that when we come to the New Testament, we would see the spiritual application of those. The idea of uh, do not be bound together with unbelievers, what does light have in common with darkness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Come out and be separate and don't touch the unclean thing. The passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 uh, to 7, 1. The idea of purifying, our, purifying ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. So these 
physical applications of keeping things separate that are separate should be applied to unlawful and unholy mixtures between righteousness and evil. Um, this is going to introduce a section about unholy mixtures of a sexual kind. That there are certain combinations that are not proper in the sight of God. So it's the idea of, of allowing God to define the separation that there should be between things, between the clean and the unclean. And then finally in verse 12, um, he, he commands them to make tassels on their garments, uh, which would remind them of their identity of God's people, uh, as God's people, and, and, and their need to, to be loyal to God and be kind of a reminder of who they were, uh, their distinctiveness as the holy people of God. Comments and thoughts on these uh, verses? I don't understand the fringes and that, how that, I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, it was something that they would wear that seems to have just been a reminder of who they were as God's people. Seth? How difficult would it be to guess all of this stuff right without actually having a law? What advantage does a Jew have over Gentiles? I mean, if we had to guess what God wanted us to do, we'd be so far off. I mean, what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and Galatians 3, that the, the law is perfect. It, it served its purpose. God's never made anything that wasn't perfect. Uh, its purpose was to show us just how far away from God we really are and how much we need a Savior. That's how it points us to Christ. Is There's no way we could guess that God wants us to have tassels. It's... <laughs> It would be an impossibility to guess all of these things right. Um, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so many things are just what God revealed. Chad? Jesus said in Matthew 23 that um, they were remembering their tithes. They remembered that the curse law about hanging a person on a tree. But they forgot the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faith. And if we would remember the weightier matters, these ticky-tack little things would just fall in place. They would be things that we would just naturally do with one another because we respected each other. We had love for each other. And we were made in the image of God. And those those little things are just bringing us back to what those weighter matters are, pointing us to those things. Yes. Good point. Tim? Should this be seen <coughs> by them as not like a comprehensive list of rules, but examples of kinds of rules? For instance, you said, you know, don't take you know, the mother and... and the young at once, you know, I guess this is question of birds. So would they like apply that then towards other animals and stuff too? Like should be seen kind of generic? I do think some of these specific laws were intended to be illustrations. Uh, For example, building the fence around your roof is the idea of not allowing your negligence to cause someone else to be injured. You know, if you dug a hole, you'd have to put a barrier around the edge. And there'd be other kinds of things that would be a negligence uh, a principle that would apply. And so, yeah, I think there are some ways in which we are learning principles in this that could be applied in other specifics. Right. In Numbers 15, 39, it said, And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commands of the Lord to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to go after. So, 
related to that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, this is the same idea. This is a tassel saying who they were and what they should be. Which verse was that? Numbers 1539. Okay. Other comments? Good, good discussion. Tim? Everybody always supposed to have tassels? I think they were supposed to wear them on their garments. Men and women? As far as I know. I was reading um, in my study Bible about the tassels, um, and it said that in that ancient time, tassels were worn by nobles and other high-class peoples. And so it was a sign of they, that they were a special people, and that the tassels were blue in, in verse 38, and the color blue signified a mark of, uh, it was in a tabernacle curtain, and a so it was a sign always to them of the law. So. Okay. I don't know about all that, but that's interesting. Other thoughts? Okay, he's going to move from here to various lessons on sexual morality. Do a section or two of this before we take a break. 13 to 21. If any man takes a wife and goes into her, and then turns against her and charges her with some shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but she came uh, but I came near her and did not find, I did not find her in virgin. And the, father's, and the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man for wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him, and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father, because he publicly defamed the virgin of Israel. And she shall remain his wife, he cannot divorce her all his days. But if this charge is true, that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death, because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Okay, so you've got a marriage, and the man claims that when he married the woman, she ended up not being a virgin. He found out she was not a virgin, and therefore he wouldn't want her. And he would want to get the bride price back, the bridal gift, and so forth, perhaps. And uh, really, he's, he's saying, I, I can't be married to her because she had been unfaithful. Uh, she had had uh, a man before I was, was with her. Well, there's two options. That accusation may be true, it may be false. You wouldn't just automatically believe an accusation. You would have to examine the evidence to see whether it's true. In this case, apparently the girl's parents would keep perhaps the clothing of the sheets as an evidence uh, that, that she was a virgin when she was married. And they would present that if if the elders saw that, yes, 
she actually was a virgin when she was married, and he made a false accusation. Maybe he just got tired of her, and he wanted to blame her for that, wanted to get the bridal price back. So she is, uh, he is fine, and has to give to 100 shekels of silver to the girl's father, and he can't divorce her from there on out. He made a false accusation against her. He was trying to perhaps make money back from her father. He's going to have to give money to her father, and he cannot divorce her. He must provide for her all of his days. However, if the charge is true, she wasn't a virgin. She represented herself to be, but she was not. Then she's stoned uh, to purge that evil from their midst. Uh, some radical things were required for those who were just unfaithful to God's covenant by improper sexual behavior. God expected a strict morality among his people and had very strong laws about that. So that was basically the situation. A lot of very specific, detailed laws. Uh, but I think we can see the principles. Certainly we see the principle of God expecting faithfulness sexually. We're in a culture where People don't care. We, we, we don't have no respect for what God says in that. But we should. And God created marriage. He made man and woman to be sexual beings. And he expects us to respect the boundaries that he's placed and the rules that he's given to us. We're much better off when we do that. Comments and thoughts on all this? Yes. Is it, um, was it the man's responsibility? Did he have to like, turn her in, per se? Like, I don't know that he would have had to. I think it's more his option that he chooses not to remain married because she wasn't a virgin. So he could have reconciled with that? They could have, like... I, I don't see anything here that says he had to, to turn against her. Other questions or comments? Yes, Patrick. Um, it seems pretty significant that there's an investigation at all. It seems like that would be really abnormal in that time of period. How would that compare to other cultures? You know? I don't know. Yeah. So I, I didn't hear what Patrick said, so I don't want to repeat his question. You just say it. If, that, okay. if you didn't hear, nobody else heard. So. <laughs> so just by reading through it once, I was wondering, it seems like the woman's punishment is a whole lot more severe than the man's. Is the woman's uh, sin more severe than the man's sin? I don't know, I just feel like it's something that one of my humanistic uh, friends might say to me. Well, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I think they were both sinful in different ways, and both are being punished appropriately, or at least in the way God chose. You know, I, I don't know how exactly we want to evaluate what would be the proper punishment, but I assume God knew best. Tim? The punishment is that he can't divorce her. Um, <laughs> 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 then, like, if that was one divorce to happen, why didn't he just make that for other things, too? Because like it seems like it'd be... God could have chosen to do that. He did not choose to do that. He chose in many things to lead the people sort of step by step toward his ideal. Again, I would say God knows 
the best way to do that. I may have wanted to show the people how his ideal was the best thing. You know, I, I think it's hard for us to know all the time what God's motives are. We know what he did. John? Well, Matthew points out, though, that this all occurred because of the hardness of the heart. Yes. So they were defiling the marriage laws and the, the development, the, the statutes of marriage from the get go there. Yeah, they, they were certainly hard-hearted. If it hadn't been for that, he perhaps would have given his ideal immediately, but he felt the need to lead them a step at a time to his ideal. We see the ideal in Christ. Yes, yeah. um, Would this law have been a Perhaps. I mean, certainly merciful in just divorcing her privately and not shaming her. That's the point of Matthew 1. They weren't actually married, married. I'm not sure to what extent this law would have applied in that situation. Okay. All right, I think it'd be appropriate for us to take about a 15 or 20 minute break. And then we'll come back and work on this for another hour or a little more. We are looking here at uh, laws relating to the family, basically, and sexual morality. And uh, we are in Deuteronomy 22. Would somebody read 22 to 30? If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you so you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil woman. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the woman. There is indeed there is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her, divorce her all his days. I, uh, a man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. Okay, so several laws about sexual morality. Adultery is wrong, and if the couple is caught, both are to be killed. That evil is to be purged. That's an important law for us as well. We must maintain the morality of marriage, and it's wrong for married people to have a relation with anyone else. That's unfortunately common but we must be firm and pure in that. In 23 and following, here you've got a girl who's a virgin. She's engaged, and some man finds her and is with her. The question here is whether or not it was rape 
or whether or not it was consensual. And the decision on that depends on whether or not she gave consent or whether or not she protested. Now, if it was in the city, we presume that she did not protest. She could have cried out, someone would have heard her. She evidently did not cry out, and therefore we assume she is guilty, and both of them are stoned to death. If she was out in the country, we presume she was innocent because had she cried out, no one would have heard her. No one would have known. So she has no way to, to prove that, that she uh, had cried out. Therefore, she is considered to be innocent. Uh, certainly, uh, she's, the girl would be given the benefit of the doubt in a situation like this. Uh, it's, it's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, in the case of a man who finds a virgin who is not engaged, and they are together, he must pay the father the bride price. She is now violated. She's no longer a virgin, so the father would have a hard time finding a man who would want her, who would pay the bride price for her. So he has to pay that and marry her and cannot divorce her. He's forced to stay with her. Um, there's some other laws that suggest that if, if the, the father or the, the, the bride didn't want the man, he would still have to pay the price. Um, would, uh, the marriage would not be required in that case. And uh, certainly a man cannot have relations with his stepmother. So there's just several specifics that are protecting the family, specifics that are demanding sexual morality uh, among the Israelites. Comments and thoughts on those laws? Tip. I think it's interesting, especially in light of the patriarchs. Normally in a culture of the, in the ancient Near East, the people who found this culture would be like heroes or whatever. But ironically enough, almost all of the um, patriarchs seem to have, you know, did one of these sins in some way. So it's, I guess, a proof in some ways that this is a divine work and not human. Okay, good point. Yeah. Other thoughts? John? Uh, question in 23 and 4, the virgin that's in town, uh, she's violated. She's espoused. But then he is put to death because he has what's going for violated his neighbor's wife. I think the idea is that the betrothal was a binding betrothal and so they were not married, but yet they would have to divorce to end the betrothal. So it was it was like a husband-wife relationship without the benefit of, of the bedroom. And so in some senses she was his wife. She belonged to him. So that's why it's a violation of, of his rights. Uh, much as Joseph married, they had not been together, but when Mary was with child, Joseph was going to divorce her because the betrothal was, was obligatory. Other questions or comments? Okay.